Welcome to the Stony Brook Crossroads Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doyle DeGroff. For more information about this podcast, our community, and other resources, please visit CrossroadsChurchSB.com. I got to tell you that as I look across the country and you see what's happening in different states, um, it was a difficult season for us for a while, but aren't you glad that New York went first in this whole thing? And uh, we just want to pray that it will continue to change. And uh, I appreciate you all being here. I know that uh, the month of August is a time where vacations happen, and it's kind of hard to have much of a vacation in this season. Uh, it's also, I want you to be aware that some, some of our church family are being careful about coming out for different reasons, and so uh, we respect them for that, and we're glad you're here. It still kind of amuses me that, like, like we put these chairs out, and everybody gets as far back as they can, so... We have a lot of empty chairs right up here that you could fill in if you want. But, um, All right. So what do you want me to do? You want me to go ahead here this morning? Okay, I'm just checking. <laughs> VJ does. Uh, anybody else? So, all right. So I want you to think with me about something. So A.W. Tozer once said what... Co- he said... Uh, what comes into our minds, or ask this question, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us? So if you turn that into a question, what is it that comes into your mind when you think about God? And more specifically, what is it that comes into your mind when you think about Jesus? And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about some of the things that can come into our mind. Come to me all that are weak and heavy laden because I'll give you rest because of what? How did he describe himself? Does anybody remember? This is a little bit of a test. Because I am what? Gentle and lowly. So when we think about Jesus, we can think of one who's gentle and lowly. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we can boldly approach the throne of grace to obtain grace and mercy in our time of need because we have one meaning Jesus, we have one who is not, uh, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. So when we think about Jesus, we think of one who's gentle and lowly, and we also think of one who can sympathize with our weakest moments. And then last week we talked about the need for us to think about the depth of forgiveness. So when we think about Jesus, we think about one who forgives deeply. And we looked at the story of of how he forgave the woman that was washing his hair, and we know that time after time, whether it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, whether it's uh, touching the leper, whether it's healing the blind man, Jesus extends forgiveness so many times in the midst of the condition of their healing. He says, go and sin no more. I forgive you of your sins. So we think of him as gentle and lowly of heart. We think of him as someone that sympathizes with our weaknesses. We think about the depth of his forgiveness. 
But this morning I want us to think about another thing. And there's this famous Puritan by the Thomas, name of Thomas Goodwin. How many have ever heard that name before? Isn't that a great name? Goodwin. How many would like to have a good win? Okay. Thomas Goodwin wrote that Christ's own joy, comfort, and happiness and glory were increased and enlarged by how is his happiness, glory increased and enlarged in our lives? How would you answer that question? Maybe you would answer it by saying, well, if I'm more faithful, that's how I increase his glory. Probably true. Or maybe you could say, um, it's the way the Father reveals divine truths. And if I remain humble and childlike, I'll learn more about Him. And so then He's glorified, more glorified by that. And his, He's happier and he's, he's has a greater sense of comfort about who I am. Or maybe you could say uh, it's increased and enlarged because of the way His followers or us, His followers, listen and obey Him. And maybe that's true as well. It's probably true. The better you listen, the better you obey, the more He's glorified and, and the, the more He's happy with what we do. But what if there's another way for us to finish this sentence? What if there's another way to finish this sentence in, in, that in, in, in spite of our, our shortcomings, in, in spite of our failures and our weaknesses and our struggles, Jesus' heart and His joy are enlarged in significant ways. What's the one thing that would make Him more joyful about you today than anything else? And that's what I want us to think about. The very one thing, of all the things that you and I can do, what's the very one thing that increases His joy, increases the Father's joy in our relationship to Him? To think about that, I want you to look at a passage of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 12. Verses, just the first two verses. They're verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and I want you to pay attention to this next phrase. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? He despised the shame and is, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God and he has finished the work. Seated at the right hand of God, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There's a paraphrase of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, specifically around that phrase, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, it says this, his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. I would say this morning that one of the things that brings the greatest joy to Jesus and the Father is for you to acknowledge the fact, I belong to Jesus Christ. For you to accept and receive in its fullest measure that if there was no one else in the room, his full 100% attention 
would be devoted fully to you. That's why he endured the cross. Somehow or another, in his infinite capacity of wisdom, he had every one of our faces and our lives in his view. And as he had every one of our lives and our faces in his view, the moment we realized we needed him and we turned to him, he turned to the Father and he said, that's what I went to the cross for. He's what I went to the cross for. She's what I went to the cross for. His greatest joy is knowing that you and I would be His. So I'd like you to repeat something with me this morning. I want you to repeat these words. His greatest joy is knowing that I am His. Ready? His greatest joy is knowing that I am His. Why does it sound like you're all muffled? I don't understand. I'm kidding. Say it again. His greatest joy is knowing that I am His. Thomas Goodwin finishes this sentence by saying, Christ's own joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased and enlarged by His showing grace and mercy in pardoning, relieving, and comforting His members or His body on earth. His grace and His mercy extended to us through the cross is one thing for for which we all are deeply grateful. But it's more than just what He did at the cross. It's who He is. It's about His identity. Because He not only did these things at the cross for us and obtained a whole list of gifts for us, but what He did was He identified with us and said, I now call you brothers and sisters. And Thomas Goodwin goes on to argue that Christ gets more joy and comfort than we do than when it comes to Him helping us with His grace and His mercy. So I want you to imagine that for just a minute. Imagine how much you enjoy God. On a scale of 1 to 10, where are you today in terms of your enjoyment of God? 10 being the most. And even if it's beyond 10, even if it's 15 or 20 or 100, you can enjoy Him more than you could even imagine, and then you take that enjoyment and multiply it thousands of times over, and He enjoys you even more than that. Because He went down to the horror of death and He plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace for His people. And every time we step into this moment of enjoying Him, He says, look, I've got more mercy and grace. And just when we think we've gotten all that we could get, He says, look, I've got more mercy and grace. When my oldest son, Nathan, was 16, I went on a whitewater rafting trip. It was the most terrifying experience of my life. We were going down the American River at a time when the, the, uh, the snowpack runoff was at its peak. In fact, they almost canceled the trip. I wish they had. And when we were going down the river, if you've ever been whitewater rafting, you know that when you're coming up to a dangerous uh, rapid, one of the things that guides will say is to start to back paddle because you've got to start slowing yourself down or maneuvering yourself in a certain position to get through that rapid. Well, we're in, when we're in the, ra- the, the rapids of God's grace and mercy through what Jesus obtained at the cross, we don't have to back paddle 
We don't have to maneuver. All we need to do is just hang on to the side and hang on for the ride and go with the flow of His mercy. Because when we come to Christ for His mercy and love to help us in all of our anguish about our sinfulness, we're, we're going with the flow of His deepest wishes for us. We're not going against them. And Jesus delights when we come to Him with our weakness. And oftentimes we think that the last thing we want to do is go to the Father when we're weak, but the Father and the Son delight with the fact that we are willing to say and be vulnerable to say, I need help. The song that we're going to sing in a little while at the end is, I need you. We all need Him. And every time we say those words, I need you, the Father and the Son, they give each other a high five. And they say, we, we did it. We gave them the privilege to be in our fellowship. Our weakness doesn't cause Him to shift into punishment mode, but it shifts Him into healing mode. Because when we come to Him with weakness, He doesn't just slap us and say, what's wrong with you? He grabs us and He holds us and He cherishes us and He puts salve on the wounds and he, and he helps us and He gives us the strength that we need. Christ's heart is never drained by our coming to Him. Now I would guess that a couple of our young parents this morning get a little tired. Sometimes there's a little bit of weariness that sets in when the baby keeps crying and you can't figure out why. But unlike earthly fathers and mothers, we keep crying and the father and the son never grow tired of our crying. Jesus did this for the joy. What was the joy? What was waiting for Jesus on the other side of the cross? Well, let me show you a couple things that I have in mind. First of all is joy in the Father's promise for us. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, that whole chapter is a great chapter, but just this one verse always gets to me. The Lord your God's in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I would imagine that Jackie and Emily have sung over their babies at one point or another. You just hum and you hold them and you comfort them. And just imagine in the same way that they do that for their babies, the Father holds us and He comforts us and He sings over us songs that we can hear and recognize and we go, oh, I know that voice. I know the comfort of that, that voice. And think about the promises from this verse. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Now I know that John Piper is one of VJ's favorite pastors. Just kidding, VJ. But Piper says, from this amazing verse, I get the title of this morning message. The pleasure of God in the good of His people. God does not do you good out of some constraint or coercion. He is free. And in His freedom, He overflows in joy to do you good. He exalts over you with loud singing. 
And that can counter what we feel, even when we feel surrounded by enemies, when we, be, we feel afflicted by an epidemic or a pandemic. It counters what we feel when we feel like God is too far away from us. These promises counter the times when we feel enslaved, enslaved to the shame of our sins. And this passage in Zephaniah connects with other texts in the New Testament that give us the same theme. The joy of seeing His people forgiven and reconciled to the Father is what Jesus did so that He could have fellowship with us. And after making a purification for His sins, for our sins, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that, the, that Jesus sat, hand, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for our sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus seating at the right hand is associated with being a priest. A priest who relates heaven to earth and connects the two together and creates a bridge. And building that bridge between heaven and earth so you and I could participate in the fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that was Jesus' greatest joy. That was like the primary reason He was going to the cross. And when today we partake in His atoning work, and we come and receive His forgiveness, we commune with Him despite our sinfulness, we're laying a hold of Christ's deepest and longest joy. Our increased comfort are His increased comfort. When we increase in our level of peace, He's increased in His peace. When we're increased in joy, He's increased in joy. When we have an increased sense of security, He has an increased sense of security. He lives for this. It's what He loves to do for us. His joy and ours rise and fall together. And He rejoices over us with singing because that's the heart of a father. In addition to all of that, there's joy in heaven over our repentance. Look with me at a story at the beginning of Luke chapter 15. A story that tells Jesus talking to the tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees are grumbling about this man receiving sinners and he eats with them. Verse 3 says, So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. <clears throat> and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Verse 7. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Every one of you has had a party in heaven. Every one of you have had, has had a party that includes a celebration of joy as you've repented and received His forgiveness in your heart. So there's joy in heaven over our repentance. In addition to that, there's joy in our desire to abide in Him. Listen to what Jesus told the disciples in John 15. 
As the Father has loved me, <clears throat> so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus has this desire for you and I to enjoy his joy in us. And he wants us to enjoy the fullness of whatever that joy represents in all of our lives. And then he goes on further in his prayer for us, for the disciples and for us in John chapter 17, verse 13. And he tells us that our that joy and our desire to find him as a source is our deepest joy. It's our relationship with him as we exchange joy with him. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He gives you his joy, and then he wants you to enjoy the working out of whatever that represents. And then finally, it's joy when we take ourselves seriously as his body, the body of Christ. The Scripture makes it really clear that Christ is the head and we are His body. And how does the head feel about His body? Paul tells us about the relationship of a husband and wife and he says husbands should love their wives as Christ loves the church. In, verse, in Ephesians chapter verse 5, verse 29, he says he nourished and cherished it. By going to the cross, Jesus nourishes and cherishes the body. Which means He nourishes and cherishes you and I. That's why He said to Paul, when Paul was persecuting the church, why are you persecuting my body? And when you and I steal joy from each other, what we really are doing is we are persecuting the body of Jesus Christ. And the one thing that causes Jesus to lose joy, probably more than anything else, is when the body persecutes itself. And that's why we need to celebrate in the churches that are around us, in the different groups of people that are celebrating the gospel and celebrating the redemption that we find in Jesus Christ because we celebrate His body as He nourishes and cherishes His body. So as we get ready to finish up this morning, let me ask you this question. What happens when we refuse or neglect these truths? What happens when we don't receive the fullness of His joy? In His presence is fullness of joy. What happens when we don't take time to spend time in His presence? What we are literally doing is we are persecuting His body and persecuting Him and causing ourselves to suffocate. Imagine if a father had a child who had a serious lung problem in the hospital, and this suffocating child needed to suck in the oxygen that was, that was in the mask that was available for him. And the child refused and ripped off the mask and said, no, I'm not taking the oxygen. That's the same thing that happens to us when we refuse to take in His joy 
And instead, we live in sin, we live in brokenness, we live in shame. It's the same thing that happens when we persecute each other. When we criticize and we, we get bitter with situations and we persecute His body, that's the same thing as not taking in the oxygen that we so desperately need. He desires for us to hear His voice and to draw deeply from His gentleness, to draw deeply from His understanding and His sympathy for us, to draw deeply from His forgiveness of us, because all of those things represent His greatest joy. Jesus Christ is filled with joy when you and I draw from the riches of His atoning work because His own body is getting healed. He's also filled with joy when we assist one another in hearing His song over us in His desire to be with us. The worship team is going to come up and we're going to sing together, I Need You. And as they were practicing it earlier, I kept thinking that it's not only I need you, it's we need you. None of us are in this together. I mean, in this by ourselves, we're in this together. And we need each other. And every once in a while, we need to remind each other, be joyful, because the Father delights in you more than you delight in Him. So let's stand together and let's sing a declaration to Him that says, I need you. I need your joy. I need you all, all that you want to give me. Just hold out your hands to receive these words as a reminder from from the Apostle Paul when he said, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of of the Spirit be with you all. Go in His joy and in His peace. Amen.